We have an opportunity here to bring presence to the ceremony that is your life. And my invitation to you is to stop whatever you're doing, wherever you are, just for this one precious moment and take a deep breath. Follow the breath into your root point and land yourself right here, right now, into your present moment. And exhale. Welcome to the space where all the magic is happening and prepare yourself to receive the wild, raw expanse that is available inside the dojo that is your life. You are the empowered center point creator of every single experience that you are drawing into your field at this time. When you recognize that and really get that in your bones, you will receive yourself as the magnet for the most perfectly expansive evolutionary curriculum that is precisely crafted for you to evolve beyond what was in order to claim all that is a match to the you who is free. And that is what we are here to do inside the dojo as we explore what it means to live a life beyond the edge. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, dojo family. It feels so good to be back here forward in connection with all of you after a bit of space and break for myself to really integrate a season of big learning, a season of heartbreak, a season of transition. And it's it's a really powerful opportunity for myself. And I pray for all of us today to receive the medicine of one of my closest friends, Monique Benabou, who is one of the most extraordinary, heartful musicians that I have truly ever, ever encountered. And she has also been on her own journey around transition and love and loss and heartbreak and Phoenician recreation. And what better is there to discuss than on the dojo with two women who are <laughs> in their own version of that Phoenix process. And so we, we get to really, really take a journey of the heart today. And so as we do, as we step into this journey of the heart and share with you in a really deep way, our own hearts and our own learnings, I would love to invite all of you to just join us in a breath. Mm -hmm. So wherever you are, my invitation is to slow down for just a moment so that you can presence your heart so that you can really like how often in our day, are we in the energy of we're doing, we're reaching for something, we're efforting, we're creating, we're even if we're chilling and reading, are, are we really slowed down enough mm. to presence this beating heart that is beating for us throughout the entirety of our life from start to finish? There it is. And, and in this life, heartbreak from my perspective is unavoidable because love and loss are two sides of the same coin. We are here to love and we are here to lose. Mm. I just got chills, man. We are here Mm. to live and we are here to die. And the truth is everything that we love, everything, everything that we love at some point we will lose and it will break our hearts. And so let's not avoid the unavoidable truth. Let's not ignore, close a blind eye, but let's not to be morbid or to be super gray, but actually to be honest. And if this honesty brings up a tenderness, like when you presence, wow, what I love and wow, it is true. Impermanence is the truth. Everything changes right? Everything that is born will eventually transition and and go through a death, whether it's a quite literal physical death or the death of a relationship or the death of a way of being or career that was, you know, and when it's time for change and that which was expires, 
it can be heartbreaking. So how do we be with ourselves when our hearts are breaking? How do we be with ourselves when our hearts are so wide open and we're receiving the magnificence of all that is here present in your life? And so wherever you're at on that spectrum, wherever, my invitation is to slow down now and just take a deep breath with us. So let's exhale all the air out. Exhale. And inhale all the way to the bottom of your heart. Inhale. Holding it at the bottom of your heart and taking a moment here to just quite genuinely feel the bottom of your heart. What are the prayers that you hold at the bottom of your heart? And exhale. And just returning to a regular breath here, staying present to the bottom of your heart. And then bringing that presence up and around wrapping your heart in a cocoon of your own presence and just really feeling your beating heart and how deeply can you open? How widely can you open? Can you open your heart as wide as the room? Whether your heart is in bliss or your heart is in pain or anywhere in between, how wide open can it become? Can you open your heart as wide as the room, as wide as the space that you're in? Open it wide and just lean back as Monique brings forth a transmission for us. Yeah, coming towards us with her voice and singing straight into that wide open heart. here to let that in let it all the way in and right there with your heart wide open the invitation is to sustain this place of receptivity as I introduce you to the woman behind the voice Monique Benavu. And Mo, I want to welcome you to the Dojo podcast. And the first, you know, inquiry I have for you is in this very moment, what is the truest thing that you could speak from the bottom of your heart? (laughs) That is such an incredible question to open with the vastness and the immensity of this life experience as one, as I traverse transformation and transition at this level. And we can, we'll get into that, into what that means more later. But I think what I'm sitting with is the duality, the polarity of what it actually looks like to be in faith while everything falls apart. Like, and coming into a realization of like where I actually am in my degree of embodiment and realizing I'm further along than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I'm surprised at how far out my personal edge is in this transition. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's one direction that's completely just dissolving Mm -hmm. and the, and a totally separate, component that is birthing and crystallizing in the most insane mind-blowing way and it's holding all of that simultaneously Mm -hmm. that is the most true thing from my heart that I'm inside of and it's like the most potent curriculum I've ever been part of wow well said (laughs) 
Really, really well said. I, I relate on a personal level so deeply. And so I actually want to get more into the specifics around, I really feel you in the dissolution, like that which is being dissolved. And then at the same time, as that dissolution is occurring simultaneously, there's this massive expansion. Like as we release this energetic drag, suddenly there's this opening of all this energy we didn't even know the old was taking the space of and then new life and new energy is coming in in a major in a major way and so before we get into the specifics around that i'd love for you to just share a little bit about like the foundation of you so like if you could name three fundamental ingredients that are a part of the foundation of you at the root and potentially, so three that are like essentials that are foundational, that are actually not changing. They're actually showing up for you during this time of transition. Mm. And then is there anything in your foundation that you're realizing, oh, that was actually an illusion and that, that is not the truth of me. Mm. And we share the root foundation. If there's anything you can share about like your come from, like who you be just so we can get a little context of who you be so that when you share what it is that's being released, the family can feel who you are. Yeah. Honestly, community is such a foundational component of me now. And it used to not be. It's something I've worked extremely hard at. Not that I've not had community, but I haven't let myself be had by community. And so this foundational piece that I'm really clicking in and, and, being mirrored back in abundant waves is who I actually am at my core is goodness Mm -hmm. and that I am enough. Like the enoughness finally feels like foundation. Mm. And that has been a byproduct of really being eyes wide open in this process, surrendered and kind of in a place of mercy and receiving waves of generosity and support in this transition out of my partnership of six years and just the different ways that like the level of receiving has been overwhelming and has really forced me to be in the conversation of like, why do I deserve this support? Mm -hmm. And coming to the realization that it's because of what I've deposited already. Mm -hmm. You know, like there is something and it's not a tip for tap thing at all. It's much more of an essence and like um, what I bring to others that I have been blind to see Mm. and just really getting some medicine of reflection. Um, That's so foundational and that's new foundation for me. Um, Secondly, joy. Yeah. I am a little joy being (laughs) (laughs) alien. (laughs) Yeah. I am a total joy alien and prayer. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those are my three. So for prayer and joy and community, I'm thinking about your like Moroccan roots and Mm -hmm. roots and your, your, you know, your come from like where you come from. And so how would you connect those three foundational essence qualities to your actual, like your familial roots? Mm. I mean, it's, it's the whole culture, Mm -hmm. right? You know, like there's, I feel like and understand like for those who are familiar with Moroccan culture, there is an understanding that it's warm and it's vivacious and it's celebratory and it's ritualistic. Mm -hmm. And there's so much music and art that is part of the culture. I mean, like I am walking Morocco, you know, like, (laughs) and uh, you know, like my childhood, my upbringing has been infused with dance song as prayer right ritual whether that's moroccan tea ceremony coffee a meal eating with our hands you know like this really rich connectivity to what we put into this as the living temple Uh, like everything is prayer in this culture Mm -hmm. so that's foundational and we do it together Mm -hmm. like i come i'm one of five children 
Mm-hmm. And my parents are one of eight and one of 13. Wow. So it's like, you know, I have an aunt that has like 22 kids. Wow. Like it's like, in, like that is so foundational. And it's so interesting because it's been one of my, especially the community piece, the belonging piece. It so is like what I'm made of. And it's the thing I have been most resistant to embracing because of you know, just certain things that happened at a young age and the imprint that being bullied so heavily had on me and just being different, you know, like I'm very different than a lot of my siblings. I'm a lot more of a risk taker. I walk in a certain degree of faith that is cultivated through dying over and over again, (laughs) voluntarily. So you know, these are all pieces that have been there that I just have had to integrate in different ways. Yeah. Well said. Okay. So now (laughs) I feel that I really, really feel all three of those ingredients and like the come from there. And then where did the music and like your gift, because again, I really see you as one of the most gifted musicians that I've ever come across. And has that been something like out the womb you knew that that gift was present and what has the coming into your own worth connected to that gift looked like for you. And for those who everyone has a gift, everyone, everyone. And so, you know, for myself as well, it's been this journey of really seeing where I have been on a process around like fully getting behind my own medicine, getting behind believing in my own voice, believing in my own gift that is here to be served. And so I'm curious for you using music and song as an example, what has that journey been like for you to actually get behind your medicine and come into your worth around it? Wow. Yeah. It's been a journey. That's for sure. You know, it's, it's that integration piece of realizing what has already and always been there. And so to start from the the top, you know, I did come into this, like so many of my relatives when I was born reflected to my parents, they're like, Oh, she's going to be a singer. Like the way that I vocalized as an infant. Mm -hmm. And then I was singing before I was speaking Uh, My household was incredibly musical as far as the love and reverence and the way music was held as prayer, Mm -hmm. you know, Hebrew prayers being sung to both my parents. Like when my mom was younger, she worked as a seamstress until she was 18, 19 years old and then came to the States. But when she was working as a seamstress in Israel, they would call her the singing seamstress because she would sing all day long and they'd call her like a little bird and she had these little nicknames. And then my dad like thinks he's par beach boy, par Elvis and like loves his oldies. And I grew up with them singing together and it was like really sweet and, and coming home to my mom, you know, dancing, belly dancing and just music always, always, always. And then so many of my siblings, again, whether they were singers, producers, or the love was just so deep, huge, huge imprint of music and it being such an important part of the way we live. So that enriched me so much and and really encouraged me to sing. The other thing that was actually quite imperative to my development was the level of bullying that I experienced growing up because I was different. I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian town, very small in the Bay area. And it's much more blended at this point. But when I was coming up in the early eighties and nineties, especially this section of my town, Alameda, it was, you know, we lived in an upper middle class community and we were not upper middle class. My parents just bought into this space way before you know, Silicon Valley was developed. Mm-hmm. And so I felt very outplaced or out of place and like an outsider from a young age. You know, my very first talent show, <laughs> this will give you a great visual and some deep context. My first talent show was my mom dressing me as a belly dancer mm-hmm. at five. Yeah. 
earrings, makeup, a little bit of the midriff showing, the scarves, the dress, the, you know, and dancing and singing to Gloria Estefan, Mi Tierra. And all of these people, like, just literally looking left and right, like, who is this? Why is she so expressive? How dare her mother? Like, my mother got a lot of heat for her allowance and letting me be so expressed. Mm. And then it turned and that, we won't go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) But, you know, like that was a pivotal point of like rejection for me. Yeah. And I had a lot of that, a lot of that socially. So I didn't have friends for a majority of my scholastic journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And what became my companion was music. What became my companion were these singers like Mariah Carey and Celine Dion and Christina Aguilera and Whitney Houston and Prince and Michael Jackson. And these were my friends. These were my singing teachers. And I would literally at like five, six, seven, we had these big, tall speakers and I would just be ear up to their listening and hanging on every breath of how they sung and learning how they were moving this energy through their voice and their body. And that's how I learned to sing. And from that point on, anybody that came through the doors of my house, they were my audience. And I was there, they were there to see me sing and perform. And like, that was really how I began to cultivate this deep, intimate relationship with music and with my voice and with the movement of music. Yeah, I just want to really presence how important our greatest challenges are in our development. It's almost like a bow and arrow. Like it looks like they're drawing back, like the arrows being drawn back. And it kind of seems like you're going backwards, like the, the really hard things, the biggest challenges, the experiences of rejection, but it actually creates the perfect amount of tension. This just like, Boom. And you let that arrow go. And then the the greatest gift often is so connected to the greatest challenges that we go through. And it's so powerful to hear. I had chills when you were sharing about, you know, the aloneness and your companion became the music and how much more impressed, like what a deeper impression and time spent in the craft as a direct function of not being distracted in that way. And now you're coming back round in the passion for healing and ceremony work and the way you employ your voice towards healing also is connected to that. You know, like those of us who have been called to do the deepest work within ourselves can hold the space for others that are on the journey of healing. And part of the way I've seen you do that is with the magnitude of your voice. And it's so soulful because it's coming, it's like that torn out deep well of like where the pain went, where the pain tore in, it also opened wide for more light and flow to actually occur. And just really blown away by that and invite anyone listening to presence, like the stories we tell ourselves about our greatest challenges, how can you actually reframe it and not just reframe it, but claim it as your greatest gift Like I could not do, I would not be doing what I'm doing if I hadn't been through what I've been through. I couldn't see how I see if I haven't seen what I've seen, you know what I mean? So we we teach what we've walked and it's just an opportunity for all of us to presence and, and let go deeper of the victim stories of these things that happened to us and own beyond the cliche of it happened for you, but like really claim it. Oh, wow. That all of that, every ounce of it happened for me to become who exactly who I am with the tools that I've gained and the tools that I'm continuing to gain to serve myself and the planet at this time in whatever special, unique way that I do, because it's different for everyone. It couldn't have been different or it would have been. It was exactly what it needed to be for each one of us to become who we are and who we're meant to be. And I'm more present to that now than ever. And that's true for when I was 
13 and had a spinal surgery, my whole central channel cut open. And it's true for this year going through a massive heartbreak. Every step of the way could not have been different or it would have. Exactly the medicine that I needed to grow into the next level of who it is that I am to mature and to learn and to evolve and to deepen and thrive. And I really feel that and hear that in your share and in your story. So thank you for bringing that piece. Girl. And so you as an artist. So now I'm really feeling more, you know, I feel like we get to feel where you're come from. So I'm seeing you as a, a young one and a teenager and into your, yeah. just like your greatest, like comrade is the music and your voice and now pairing it with the evolutionary process and trajectory. And so I want to bring us into now the way you started, which was the discussion around the, that which is being dissolved in your reality. And then also that which is expanding. And so you talk about this, like, you know, these like pain points or the death. You said that I've become who I am through dying willingly over and over and over again. So perhaps we can set this up. I would love for you to share What does that mean to you dying willingly over and over again? And how did that prepare you for what you didn't even know that you could actually handle better than you thought possible now? So like, let's speak into that a little bit. How did the dying before you die intentionally support where you're at now? And what has that looked like for you? Thank you. That's an incredibly deep potent portal we're about to go into with that. But I want to preface, like I have still so much to refine in this process. There's levels to dying willingly. And I'm actually at the precipice of a whole, like of an integration of a sweeter way to even die. Like I'm very much playing in this theme of death as an art. And like, I consider myself a creative death doula and walking people through thresholds because check this and we'll get to it. This came to me the other day and it's really been lighting me up. It's the idea that every death is in service, is in devotion to our greater, to the greater access and level of art that we can create and hold. And so over my lifetime, death process, the dissolve has not been something that I have been willing to partake in. In fact, there's been a tremendous amount of resistance up until a certain point where I started to see the theme of the benefits that came from the rebirth. And so at this point, I'm really like starting to key in on my nervous system in this process. And like, how can I make dying not just be willing, right? Because the willing is the choice, mm-hmm. is saying, okay, I recognize this is what's approaching. Mm-hmm. I can take the rainbow slide or I can take the shit slide <laughs> and I can, you know, I can recognize it for what it is and know that I will come out on the other side of this. Not because I've been through this exact thing before, but because I've been through other death portals, so to speak, and I've come out on the other side every single time, mm-hmm. better, stronger, more aligned, more clear, more tapped into my truth. Mm-hmm. And with an ever increasing ability to serve my community mm-hmm. and my art. Mm-hmm. So where I'm at now is in this question of how do I not just make dying willing? How do I make this death process easeful? How do I bring it into even more honoring? You know, and I think that this component of what you don't know, you don't know, like the levels of pain, the levels of stretch and that we are faced with at each of these portals looking like facing the unknown not sure if we're going to be able to make it to the other side Mm -hmm. I feel like what has helped me stay the course Mm -hmm. has really been my breath and knowing that 
the key to shifting this into more of an artful experience mm-hmm. <laughs> has been listening and has been not separating myself from all that is happening and not reinforcing the separation or the cause and effect being right and wrong or oh this pain is happening to me this situation's happening to me that means I must have done something wrong Mm -hmm. so dismantling the part that's saying this pain is a byproduct of something Mm. defective in me Mm. and in making peace with that I'm actually able to presence all parts of me, including especially my inner child mm. and showing her that pain is not the same thing as suffering mm. and that pain, mm. how we hold that pain is not one gear mm. and the gear that's really been helping me get through has been this like delicious warrior like feminine beast mode. Oh, I really know that. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, like there's other things here that have helped me to create that relationship mm-hmm. and hold myself through that, like physical practices that are so hard. And I call them the right kind of hearts because they're the parts of you that really take you to the place in your physical capacity where you haven't been before. Even if it's just a second that you hold your plank longer or one more rep or one more lunge or one more, you know, 10 more seconds on that run. It's about like that physical threshold, challenging that physical threshold so you can prove to the mind in those death processes that actually there is more capacity. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well said. So it sounds like you've been training that muscle in many ways to reinforce or really repattern a knowing in your being that in the no matter whatness of life, you got you. Mm. Period. And so what's been occurring now over the last year that like what did your life look like? Like what has this caterpillar chrysalis butterfly metamorphosis journey looked like for you? So those listening can relate wherever is true for them. So let's go from what has been to what is now and what coming. So, and, and this is within the frame of the dissolution that is occurring and how you're navigating that. Yeah. Thank you. So what has been, what was, mm-hmm. was that I was in a six year relationship mm-hmm. with someone whom I thought held the same values and standards around love. Mm -hmm. And what I came to realize about a year and a half ago was that they were not so much the same. Mm -hmm. And in that, because the relationship was pretty rooted in codependence, Mm -hmm. I began to move differently inside of the relationship Mm -hmm. and commit more to truth because this idea that I thought that this person was on the same page as me Mm -hmm. was actually an illusion and a story I was telling myself despite the proof for years and years that that wasn't the case. Mm And so it came to the point of pain and suffering, enough of it to have me open my eyes to what was. Mm -hmm. And that was a very painful awakening. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ebbs and flows in that, a lot of trial and error, seeing if things could be reconciled, if things could come into harmony. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, The more I held on, the more I tried for that, the more illusion became present. Mm. And ultimately, it ended, (laughs) literally my relationship ended when I was in the mental space that we're getting married this year. 
We're mm. going to get engaged and married this year. This was the illusion mm. to coming to find out that my partner was cheating on me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure for how long, mm-hmm. but it had been a few times and for several months at that point when it had come to my attention. Mm-hmm. And that really propelled me into a deep process of asking myself, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. And uncovering the loyalty to illusion that I was holding mm. and how it was being matched in a physical manifestation of my relationship. Mm. Not to mention every other area of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> in some capacity. And so can I ask you a question right there? Yeah. So this loyalty to illusion that you tracked within yourself. So in service of anyone listening that, well, everyone listening, I imagine at some point or currently has some level of ideation that's being overlaid on top of reality that is it's may or may not it may be like illusory like we have ideas about what we think something is or what we hope something will be and we overlay our expectation on something and so i feel like many times when we have expectation at all it's it's its own attachment to a particular illusion it's our response we are adding a layer of expectation. Like I expect so-and-so to show up in this way for me. And I, or I expect it really, I mean, expect expectation in general, this is total Jedi layer, but to expect <laughs> life to show up in a certain way. Like I expect my roommate to get home at this time. And I expect this to happen, you know, this to happen in my career. And I expect whatever it is that we expect, I expect to have, you know, my relationship with this friend in perpetuity forever. And it's like, we ignore the other part of the coin, which is like, oh, wow. Like I actually have no control over the length of this relationship. I actually have no control over whether I even make it to the grocery store today. I really actually have no control. So we live in this kind of web of illusory expectation, which allows us to kind of pacify our fear of being out of control and being in the unknown. And so when we take that layer of expectation off of life, or we, we actually dismantle where we were plugged into an illusion, like you expected your partner to be loyal you were expecting, yeah. and, and you Honest. were holding that attachment to that and believing it to be so because the opposite was too painful at the time. Uh-huh. And so is there anything you could speak to in there? Cause some of these, you know, like expecting, yes. expecting that, you know, you make it to the grocery store, I think is healthy, right? Like we want to hold for ourselves the highest vision of aliveness and joy. And like, I think there's a healthy allowance for like holding a high vision, but when we get attached to it and we start to actually believe that anything other than that is not okay, we may be in for a, a sharp awakening, a rude awakening. So I think it's important to just find balance when we start to bypass, you know, certain areas of potential disappointment because the pain of feeling that we may not feel like we're ready for that. We may not feel like we're ready to even permeate the possibility of losing this particular relationship. And I think it's important that we have a practice of both embracing the possibility that the full range of journey occurs in just the way that we believe is possible And also so that we don't, as soon as we start getting attached to it, having to be that, it points to a fear of it not being that, which can then open up the doorway to a lot of attachment. So I'm curious if there's anything you have to speak into that for those who are listening around tracking, if you might be Mm. relaying an attachment to an illusion in your life, which is just giving yourself a bit of a reality check. It's not like let's everyone burst your bubbles. It's actually the balance of like, fuck, I love this person. I hold the high vision for our relationship. And there is a possibility that this might not be the truth, which makes you more open and available to see it 
if your partner is not being honest or whatever, because the fear of losing it isn't so strong that we'll literally ignore our own perception. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I don't, I'm like, there's my brain is exploding right now. Cause there's yeah. so much that wants to come through on this. Yeah. And I feel like where I want to start with that is with my, how I tracked and then I can kind of yeah. synthesize and bring it, bring it home for the fam. Right. Yes. So this whole concept of illusion, how did I get here? How did I yeah. create so much of it yeah. for so long? I get it. And so that reco- that invited me into a process of deep inquiry and deep honesty and tracking the frequencies and what the, the distinction you're talking about, like there's a lot of different threads that you've pulled up. And what I heard is like this illusion is a psychological and emotional, psycho-emotional way to self-protect. Mm-hmm. However, we're doing so much self-harm because we're self-abandoning. Wow. Right? That, you know, it's not protective. And so I had to go back and track. I'm like, what is it about reality? Mm-hmm. that doesn't feel safe to me and where did it start yeah so for me and this was like a huge over the last few months recognizing and taking the blame off my parents mm. and realizing that the majority of my wounding didn't actually come from my parents mm. it came from bullying mm. and that reality being so unsafe for me to exist inside of physically, Mm -hmm. emotionally, mentally, because I was beat up by boys at recess. I was made fun of. I was like, it was nar nar. Mm -hmm. And it imprinted that being here in the physical world was not safe. Mm -hmm. And so just like the thing that I practice, you know, music, if you've seen that Disney movie, Soul, they have this place where they go, right? Mm-hmm. And they they use the elements of the air and ether to like symbolize the field of creativity and channeling and things like that. You get lost, right? That's an elusive expression. However, like creativity can be very etheric. And so I have so much practice in that. And that's where a lot of my genius exists. And so I've had to really go in and separate what is healthy and like give it a container mm-hmm. and then really start to honor and create ceremony around what is matter, what is real, mm. what is true. Mm. And knowing that the second that I am in daydreaming mode, mm-hmm. I've abandoned myself mm-hmm. and just catch, come back, catch, come back. Mm-hmm. And really trying not to judge myself in it because that just, you know, starts to loop over again. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the inquiry here is, like, where are we popping out of our bodies mm-hmm. and into our head? Where are we adding a second arrow narrative to what something means, mm-hmm. right, that's happening, whether that's disappointment, whether that's misalignment, mm-hmm. whether that's heartbreak. And or the other direction, dishonesty, or, or the, the other direction. direction. If you're finding new love, or a new teacher, Ooh. or a new, you know, opportunity, it's like, oh, it's so easy. How do you trust that? Yeah. How do you trust it? And also, where do we immediately overlay a story or a meaning on it? And then we're like, we're fantasizing it into a truth that it may not yet be. Oh my god. You already know I've done this recently. <laughs> I only can spot it because I've walked it. You know, it's it's an easy thing to do, which it, it creates either attachment or aversion. And we're mm-hmm. like, we're, we're in either one of those. We're not actually here with what's here, right? Of course, we have an aversion to heartbreak or loss and pain. Of course, we have an attachment to sustaining a new love or a a new opportunity that feels so exciting and life affirming to us. But it's like the most sustainable expressions, whether it's the expression of a legacy or the expression of 
a love that lasts a lifetime mm-hmm. are really formed at the root with a lot of foundational patience and attention and willingness to actually go slow with it. Yeah. And I've seen in myself ways that that's been really challenging. I've needed to like know that it's something and anchor it in, in my mind in my illusion immediately <laughs> so that I can feel safe about it and then rest, but I'm resting in the illusion that mm. it's last forever. And that this is the thing now that means this. And it's like, wait a second, this is the thing now that is here present for me fully in this moment, how fully in this moment, how fully can I meet this, the aliveness of this thing here in this moment, whether it's going through the heartbreak and not make it mean I'm bad, I'm wrong and go into the shame or the fullness of like the blossoming of, of a new love and not make it mean that this means I'm, I'm a queen and now I'm worthy of being chosen. And then now we attach all that into the new expression and it puts a pressure on it in either way, either way, we're adding a layer of illusion. It's just not true that you're bad or wrong, or you did something to make something happen that shouldn't have, if it shouldn't have happened, it wouldn't have happened. Boom. Right. So how is this for you? That's like one of the alchemy. That's one of the alchemical questions that can be, you know, inserted in this process is like when you're ready and you can see it for what it is, you can see the illusion from reality, right. And you're committed to going from regulating through illusion to regulating through reality, you know, like it's, it's about, yeah, how is this for me? And that just opens up something else. I have a a term, I think of the hourglass often in these kind of processes or in with regards to any kind of anything that can be transformed, any energetic that can go from one state to another, Mm -hmm. the hourglass, it comes down to like this narrow, narrow point. And it feels like it's over and then it pops out into something completely different. Mm -hmm. And so like, that is that question. Once you get to that point of like, oh, snap, I see it. Yeah. Then it's like, you don't have to anchor something in on that as well. You don't have to put a second arrow meaning on when you see it. You can just ask the question of how is this for me? What even even if you're not there for how is this for me? Because that sometimes can feel out of reach. Mm -hmm. What is possible from this? Yeah. Right. It takes it off of you having to be like really, truly emotionally, like in that place of like, okay, I'm ready to embrace the blessing of this when you're still in process. Like, okay, just to start bringing in the light of what is possible, what is possible now that this is the situation, now that this is the reality I'm acknowledging. Yeah. Mm, Well said. I love that analogy right here. So it's like you come to the zero point. So when you're going through a massive release, we were using heartbreak in this example, right? So it's like the shredding of the illusion. Finally, it's painful enough and clear enough that the illusion just bursts. (laughs) And then you find yourself in the grief process and it narrows into this like zero point of total let go of what was where there's actually a true dissolution of the relationship six years that you thought would turn into marriage, full dissolution of that experience, full dissolution of the you that was holding the illusion of that to mm. space for the you that's fully present at the zero point of just what is. And so now I want to take us into the burgeoning hourglass that's pointing open into the arena of pure potential. So this massive release of energy has occurred in your life and you're receiving your worthiness. You're receiving your learning. I really get how and feel how much expansion and maturation and self-awareness is being birthed through this experience. I feel like heartbreak is just one of, and I will have another episode where I'll share more deeply around my own learnings. But one thing I can say here is that heartbreak is absolutely one of the greatest evolutionary catalysts that the human experience offers from my perspective. And so you find yourself catalyzed here at this like broken open point. And how would you describe now the experience of like, the new life that's coming in and like how you're relating to that in this kind of pivot point. Okay. So we'll piece it all together. But the first things that are coming through for me are rawness, 
full sentience Mm. in that full sentience and that like now like the focus is around a conditioning of capacity for real or reality Mm -hmm. it's through the rawness that everything is being made real and in that it's a very tender walk and it's still a slow walk because now that I'm aware I have a true opportunity with this clean slate in front of me mm-hmm. to be awake, eyes wide open with every step, every thought, every choice. Mm-hmm. And it's about going slow enough to listen, slow enough to see it, and mm-hmm. slow enough to choose differently. And so that's my mode right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm being very gentle with myself and I'm doing things I have never done before. And I'm still experiencing resistance. I'm still experiencing heartbreak driving down the, you know, the road, you know, sometimes just hit you and you just gotta let it, you know? And like, I think that's been a huge part of this expansion in this second part, like, you know, the bottom half of that hourglass is like watching the pendulations, Mm. how you go from one state into a completely other state within an hour. Mm-hmm. And like when you don't attach to the elusive story, the illusion that because you're crying, you're broken, you're not enough, you're never gonna, you know, like if you can just allow, mm-hmm. it moves through. Yeah. Y'all, please hear me. Mm-hmm. If you can allow it, it will move through. Yeah, baby. Because it is not your truth. It is an permanent, temporary, transient expression. And I'm not sure where I got this from, but it might've been like a yoga teacher training or speaking on like anatomy or something. But when we cry, it's said that that is us releasing toxins. And when we're present to and can witness the emotional components and the threads or the narratives that are attached to that release that we actually completely let them go and they no longer that story no longer lives in our body but it does require us to witness what is coming through Mm -hmm. so it's like instead of attaching being the tears you're watching the tears and you're asking what is the story so Mm -hmm. that we can honor its passing literally its death yeah So now what's possible is everything, everything I've ever wanted, everything I've ever desired, Mm -hmm. like the queen that I am, like feels like the queen I am. And that, that shifts everything that shifts how I engage, that shifts how I hold myself, that shifts my practices. And as that shifts, my whole reality shifts. And I'm, you know, like at the moment, if people knew my actual, like what my reality was Mm -hmm. and what my, they would not understand how composed and how calm and how much I'm actually still able to show up. Mm -hmm. I am. And that's a big one. I know so many of the fam on this are in service or they're walking a path to become Mm-hmm. a space mm-hmm. and a guardian of service in the world, mm-hmm. a steward. Mm-hmm. And what I want to share with you is there is a distinction of when it's time to step back and receive and when it's time to step in and lead. And there has been so much leadership modeled for us that says you have to be perfect or you have to look a certain way. You have to be together. Or you have to da, 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 in order to lead. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've really collapsed in this, in the, like a belief I've collapsed in this process is like realizing my capacity for my own process mm-hmm. and leadership simultaneously yes. for dissolve and complete destruction and composure, grace, and love. Yes. Well said. Yes. So on that note, as we start to land the incredible transmission of this episode, wow. 
speaking into the way that you lead and the way that you serve and how you share. And thank you for bringing everything that you've brought. I feel like there's more. There's yeah, part two. Have a part two with Monique. There's more, but I think you laid it out really, really well around the discovery of like, wow, I had no idea that I could hold the full spectrum of my own experience and what is happening within and without, and also hold even more, have even more capacity for oracular vision, for space holding, for my music, for my, my craft, because the, actually the respect and the fortitude and the integrity is coming from this work that is being done. And so I really honor you in that as such a mirror, I'm so grateful to walk with you in these ways. And I'd love for to invite you to share where everybody can find you. And as you step into more capacity and offer up more of yourself in the world, are there ways that, you know, the men and women listening can work with you containers that are opening and things like that. I'd love for you to just share. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Hi, Familia. (laughs) So if you would love to continue to connect with me, my main platform at the moment is on Instagram. Lots changing in my social media space. And so like inner circle, like really being tapped into like smaller intimate offerings that are to come here in person and digitally, the best way to really be part of that is to sign up for my email list, which you'll find on Instagram and my link. And then all of my music is streaming on Spotify, SoundCloud, my ceremonialists out there. I have a beautiful EP that's a sound healing EP. I went into the studio. I set up an altar. I did microdose with Ninos with psilocybin. And I, you know, brought in the energy of Isis and Sophia and these beautiful divine feminine Christ conscious energies. And I channeled through these vocal transmissions with 528 Hertz. And so it's a really potent transmission, awesome for ceremony, awesome for just like attunements. And there's some other that's called Seraphim. And that's on Spotify and SoundCloud. We can place that in the show notes and also the link to your Instagram at Monique Benabu. Yeah, there's so much music that's coming. And then as far as like programming and support, you know, this is something that we are so passionate together. Z in is like serving creatives, serving artists, serving leaders and healers, the tuning forks of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I love, love serving those who serve with their art, with their wisdom, with their design. Mm -hmm. And I'm an amplifier in that space. And so I have several different programs Mm -hmm. um, from a foundational course called Ignite Your Voice, which is heavy on the internal narrative, which is the foundation of all of this. And then from there, the progression of that is the vessel, which is about to be launched here very soon, a six-month container for my channels, you know, who are who are in my space and really helping them with the preservation and expansion of their channel and going from channel into vessel, which is a being that has access and can execute and repeat, repeat, repeat. You're just open for business, mm. but not for sale. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Last. Well, we will have all the links in the show notes. So if you want to connect with Monique, I highly, highly encourage it to check her out. And in the meantime, we are going to share a very special release that has not been released to the public. And I'd love for you to share about what that is. And that'll be coming up. If you just stay in the listening here, you can listen right after Monique shares. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm going to cry because this is real. This is a... The song that's going to be coming out is called Long Way Around. And it was the first song that I wrote after leaving an artist development deal that I was in for three years after The Voice. And this was part of like a really big camp, you know, like I was working with Timberland, Justin Timberlake, James Fallroy. Like I was in studios and spaces with these people. It was like crazy. And then all of a sudden I had this reckoning that I was just so unhappy with the trajectory of my music career. I wasn't really feeling supported. I wasn't feeling like I had someone helping me extract my truth, but rather someone guiding me, telling me to do what is relevant 
and maybe we'll kind of catch the train. And that felt so wrong. And I became really, I fell out of love to the point of like resenting music. Mm. And that was like one of the most disheartening moments of my life because music is my refuge. It's, it's everything to me. Mm -hmm. And this was the first song I wrote a year later, Mm -hmm. after I took a year off from music and started cooking. This was the song Long Way Around. And it's saying, you know, it's going to be a long road home. I'm leaving everything I've ever known. I'm out to find a peace of mind, out to find the peace that's mine. It's going to be a long way. It's going to be a long road home. And I know just where to go, nodding to that soul guidance, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not part of the lost and found. I'm just taking the long way around. Mm. And so, yeah, it was my first song really writing from the place of advocating for my steps, Mm -hmm. my unique path. And it's what started everything in this avalanche of channeled music that is really been medicine for me and so many others. Mm. Well, thank you so much. What an honor, truly, to receive this unreleased track by Monique Benabou. And again, reminding you to receive this with your heart splayed wide open in the same way that we began. We invite you to complete. Thank you, Monique, for being here. And with that, I am so grateful for your listening and look forward to seeing you next time.
thank you all for creating this space to receive this transmission and for having the courage that it takes to live your life beyond the edge. If you feel the call to go deeper with me privately or explore the dojo ecosystem, the best place to start is by visiting zaharazimring.com and taking your free micro dojo. You can also find me on Instagram at Zahara Zimring, and I love hearing from you guys. So feel free to send me messages, make comments, and I will absolutely get back to you. I also would deeply appreciate if this episode or any of these episodes have touched your heart. Leave a review as it really supports this show in touching more hearts and more lives all around the world. Thank you for joining and I'll see you next time.